Trennis Magnus, Jabs Reality, a podcasting vacation presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and the show that I host, which is to say Trentus Magnus Punches Reality, is on hiatus right now, but periodically I get a bee in my bonnet. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about sometimes, and so on those occasions, even though I'm technically still on hiatus, I go ahead and release an episode of Trentus Magnus Jabs Reality anyway. <clears throat> the purpose of Trentus Magnus Jabs Reality is to kind of be a little bit of a dumping ground for stuff that wouldn't really fit inside of Trennis Magnus Punch's reality. And so the way I see it is Trennis Magnus Punch's reality may be on hiatus, but that doesn't necessarily apply to Trennis Magnus Jab's reality, or at least it doesn't, maybe it doesn't fully apply to Trennis Magnus Jab's reality. I don't know. So that's at least the way that that I've uh, come up with for rationalizing all of this. And the bee in my bonnet that I've got today, actually there are two of them. Both of them relate to Star Wars. And for those of you who haven't kept up with my views on Star Wars and I guess goings on with Star Wars fandom in the current day, basically what, what it really boils down to, at least for me, is that... I enjoy the original Star Wars trilogy, which is to say the unaltered Star Wars trilogy, but when you get too far away from that, I can pretty much take or leave it most of the time. Not necessarily everything. Everyone has their own headcanon for Star Wars, and certainly I'm no exception to that, but in the main, I tend to stick with the original unaltered trilogy, all right? At least for me, that is what's canon. But Sometimes there are I don't know, accessories to that that come along that are a little bit too good to turn to turn one's back on. A good example of what I'm talking about isn't so much the prequels because I've spoken at great length about the prequels and you know in the main I think I've said my piece about that but there are occasional uh, expanded universe novels or comics or something like that these things that come along that that I think really do capture something, you know? Am I, am I prepared to call them canon? Well, perhaps not. But they are nevertheless a, a very enjoyable Star Wars story, at least unto themselves, and so I tend to, I tend to enjoy them on that basis. A good example of what I'm talking about is, and this is going back many years now, but I did an episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality pretty early on with Scott Rifen of Dinner for Geeks fame, where he and I talked about the Star Wars novel Shadows of the Empire. Now, I'm not big on the EU in general, and especially not really the Bantam era so much, but Shadows of the Empire really is a good, fun, decent, and worthwhile Star Wars story, I think. And very enjoyable, and basically, it purports to bridge the gap between Empire and Jedi, meaning that when we left Luke at the end of Empire, he uh, he lost his hand, his Jedi training was haphazard and incomplete, and all of that, and yet when we meet him at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, 
he's a lot more mature, he's a lot more uh, comfortable in his own skin as a Jedi, and his training seems like it's, at least in some ways, been better refined, or at least his mastery of the Force has been better refined, and so given that, at least in-universe, given that only one year separates Empire from Jedi, there's only one year between those two movies, where exactly did Luke Skywalker's newfound Force mastery come from in Return of the Jedi? And so Shadows of the Empire, at least in part, purports to tell some of that story. Now, again, I'm not prepared at this time to say that Shadows of the Empire is in any way canonical, because for me, the, the canon is the unaltered original trilogy. But at least as a story unto itself, I think there's a lot to love about Shadows of the Empire. And again, I talked about that at considerable length with Scott Rifen of Dinner for Geeks fame early on in the run of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, so if you're curious to hear what I have to say about that novel, I suggest you track down that episode because a good time will be had by all. My purpose in saying all of this, though, is that <clears throat> my views of the canon notwithstanding, there are at times the occasional non-canonical Star Wars story that come along that are simply too good to pass up. And so, however one wants to, to classify this, maybe for you it is canon, or maybe for you it's not. Maybe you just want to call it apocrypha. Uh, but sometimes the minimum I think we can all agree upon is that whatever one's views of canon might be, there is still some worthwhile material that's out there. And I want to use that as my foundation in saying that ages and ages and ages ago, basically leading up to the release of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, there was a blogger out there who embarked upon what I can only call a little bit of a creative writing project. This person, who calls himself Cheeseburger Brown, launched the Darth Side blog, Memoirs of a Monster. And it basically follows the original Star Wars uh, trilogy from Vader's point of view. And basically, it's you, you could think of this as, as sort of like Vader's private diary. His reaction to uh, the events of Star Wars 77, to Empire, to Jedi, and all of that. And reading the blog for any amount of time... You get the idea that the canon that that the writer Cheeseburger Brown is is, is working from, in, in, uh, that includes the prequels, and that either works for you or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, well, I guess you're just not going to be able to get into the Darth Side blog quite as much. But <clears throat> one of the uh, when I when I when I began following the uh, Dar the Darth Side blog, one of the things that kind of stood out to me is that this is not exactly... I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is a... This isn't exactly perfect. You know, there are there are some moments of of uh, whimsy and humor that, that come across. And I guess in, in the inner core of Darth Vader's soul, he doesn't have a whole lot of whimsy. He doesn't have a whole lot of joy and mirth. And all of that. I mean, he is pretty much what he presents himself as being. He truly is the Dark Lord of the Sith. And so as a result, 
This is not a happy-go-lucky, freewheeling kind of guy. But, as it happens, that doesn't characterize every single entry in the Darth Side blog. It does... I don't know, maybe it's just there to... to sort of break up all the doom and gloom. I don't know, but... As a general thing, I, I kind of find the, the Darth Side blog to be a, just an incredibly fucking enjoyable read. And one of the things that I really like about it is the fact that the first-person perspective kind of demands that you not just literally get inside Vader's head, but you, you really do explore Vader's ideas and beliefs and uh, the, things that, uh, the things that motivate him, his values and his ideas. And the Darth Side blog, I think, does that very well. You know, Cheeseburger Brown's take on Darth Vader. As I say, I mean, there are times when the whimsy gets a little bit too much, at least for me. But it is nevertheless, I think, a, a pretty valid interpretation of, of Vader. Now, I think that sort of... When you watch the original trilogy, it's sort of implied that the Empire is basically space fascism in the same way that that uh, the the federation in star trek it maybe didn't start out this way but ultimately sort of became space communism the empire as we saw it in star wars 77 empire and jedi is basically space fascism and i can understand if that's going to be a little bit of a touchy subject for a lot of people but it is, at least for me, it is what it is. And as I say, that was kind of implicit in the original trilogy, but the more you go through the prequels, the more Anakin kind of comes off a little bit fascist himself. There's this scene in Attack of the Clones where he basically suggests that a sort of a fascist sort of dictatorship may actually be the only way to solve all of the galaxy's problems and he says that to Padme who suffice it to say that's not you know you don't want to advocate fascist dictatorships to Padme Amidala I mean that's just she's just not the audience for something like that Anakin kind of realizes it he plays it off as a joke and then they laugh and they roll around and and all of that stuff so whatever it becomes more apparent as you work through Revenge of the Sith, again, it's not as explicit as it was in Attack of the Clones, but in Revenge of the Sith, there's really no other way of, or at least there are not very many other ways, of processing Anakin's actions apart from fascist sympathies on some level or another. And I don't... I actually think that George Lucas was smart in not actually calling it fascism, just because... It is kind of a loaded word, God knows, especially these days. But it's, but even back then, you know, I mean, this you didn't have a whole lot of people that were handing out leaflets on the corner advocating the, the merits of fascism. I mean, it, it was just kind of... It was a no-no back then. It's definitely a no-no these days. And so, nevertheless, the the fascist component of, of Anakin Skywalker's... Uh, his thinking and the universe of his beliefs and all of that don't really make very much sense apart from fascism and now that I've set the table on all of that stuff which took a lot longer than I was expecting it to but now that I've set the table on all of that stuff 
For as good as I find the Darth Side blog to be, just as a general statement anyway, there is one particular entry on there that really stood out to me. And this isn't a, uh, this entry is not a reaction to any particular event or character or happening or anything like that in the original trilogy. This is just one of those occasional from the heart types of types of blog entries that that popped up on the Darth Side blog. And this is probably my favorite entry on on the entire blog. And that's honestly, that's really saying a lot. Now, people who sound like they're a lot smarter than I am will tell you that it is death. Okay, it is the third rail of podcasting to read to your listeners. Okay? You're really not supposed to do that, the thinking goes. The idea is that it's one thing for you to sit there and kind of do what I do, which is, in most cases, I just sort of speak extemporaneously and just basically make a bunch of shit up as I go along and just hope it all comes out in the edit. But there is a school of thought that says that you really should not read stuff to the listeners because it, unless you're really good at it, it's always going to sound a little bit canned or it's always going to sound a little bit robotic or whatever. And you should especially not read stuff written by other people because it's always going to be in their voice. And so there's going to be turns of phrase and there will be expressions and things like that that by virtue of the fact you did not write are not in your voice and so you're kind of stretching yourself a bit to use somebody else's voice and I'm going to go ahead and wipe my ass with all those rules right now because guys this really is worth it and it's not that long of a blog entry is the point right and to tie it back to the to the fascist angle if there's any clearer summation of Darth Vader as fascist disciple I'm just not aware of it I guess but anyway the the title of, uh, of this entry from the Darth Side blog is Bedtime Story. The entry goes a little something-something like this. And guys, again, in case I haven't made it clear, it, this is all written from Darth Vader's point of view, so just keep that in mind. Entry goes something like this. I'd like to tell you a little story. This goes out to all those bleeding, hip, bleeding heart hippies out there who sympathize with the rebellion. Once there was a star called Trime, around which circled three habitable worlds. In the founding days of the Old Republic, the Trimian worlds had enjoyed great prosperity as centers of learning and artistic innovation, but they fell into ruin over a centuries-long battle concerning where the royal house of Trime should summer. When the Prince of Yore moved the house to sit on Trime Sekende, after being disgusted by the uh, perceived commercial excesses of uh, Trime uh, Prime, Trime Tertiae launched a trade war against both worlds, accusing them of a cultural conspiracy to rob them of their own rightful dignity in the system and sought to forcibly move the royals in the name of defending the shared Trimean heritage. The journalists had a field day and were subsequently disappeared in the night by secret police things went from bad to worse. The royal house itself was uh, fractured, with one faction of nobles pitted against another in bloody Mobius strips of double-dipped connivance. They broke 
ancient treaties by putting the primitives to work in mines, stoking the fires of their war engines. There were revolts, strikes, slaughters. A long line of old Republic ambassadors, followed by an equally long line of Imperial negotiators, had treated with the Trimean councils, but any solution was ultimately stymied by a question of dividing that which was indivisible, the seat of the crown on calendar day. So, my master sent me to the Trime system. This is going back a ways now, maybe 14 years. At any rate, I listened to the counselors on each world and met with the sheriffs of the guerrilla armies. I even spoke briefly with the chief of a clan of warrior primitives, little pink things with googly eyes and prehensile tails. What crystallized the situation for me was something the Duke of Falbash said, bringing his brown fist down on the table. Lord Vader, what is at stake here is a millennium of tradition. That is the heart of this matter. The Duke was right. I told him so. Then I assassinated the entire royal family down to the last forgotten bastard. And you know what? The Trime system is a leading commercial concern in the sector today. They grieved, but they got over it. Once liberated from the yoke of insoluble, deeply emotional dilemmas, the people of the Trimean worlds were free to build new bonds, to establish vibrant new institutions, and to create new traditions. Question. Do you want a moment of agony or an entire history of ache? That is the spirit that underlies the new order. Understand this and live in peace. And that's the end of the entry. And guys, again, if there's any better summation of Darth Vader's politics, his, his decision-making uh, uh, abilities, and all of those things, if there's any better crystallization of those things, I guess I'm just not aware of it. You know, now there is an argument, you know, for people who are kind of stuck on nomenclature, there is an argument over, is that true fascism or is that not? And to me, debates like that, they're about as interesting as, uh, and you see this on Facebook sometimes, there's always somebody who says, well, you know, communism has never really been attempted before. Not true communism. And it's just, what is the fucking point? I mean, look, that's my view. Now, if there's anyone out there who's so stuck on the dictionary definition of uh, definitions of words, I guess I could understand where you might disagree with me on this. But to me, that is basically a, a, a kind of a a fascist ideal that, in terms of problem solving, what what Darth Vader did was he recognized that there was a local uh, problem in one of the Imperial star systems. And he basically unmoored an entire star system consisting of three habitable worlds from their royal family so ultimately they could unify under the Empire, which is the true authority that any of these people should be obeying anyway. And if the, the methods and the objectives, if, if those things are not fascism, then I guess I just don't know what fascism is. I don't know. But the ruthlessness of it and the, the, the cultural mutilation and then redirection that, that uh, took place 
under Vader's lightsaber. I mean, guys, to me, that is what fascism is. And that is exactly what Darth Vader would do. He's not, he didn't kill the entire royal family from any sense of malice. My sense of it is that Vader went in there basically to solve a problem. And in this case, solving that problem meant taking the entire uh, Trimean royal family out for good. And I think, it's, number one, it's kind of clever of, uh, of Vader to realize that's the solution here. That's what's going to work. And then having, and I guess just having the vision to do it. And, and I guess ultimately the fact that it worked is maybe that's most chilling of all. I don't know. But it's, as I say, I mean, this is just so persuasive. This is so insightful of who Vader is as a person, you know? I mean, it's like, it's like everything with Vader. You can admire his effectiveness, while at the same time, you're kind of freaked out by, by his methods, you know? And to me, that's what makes Vader such a compelling villain, you know, is the fact that on the one hand, yes, he's got the blood of, I don't even know how many people on his hands, but you know, you look around the galaxy far, far away, and it seems like shit works. So, I don't know. And I is that subversive or, or what? Look, I don't know. But all I can say is, for whatever reason, number one, that seems like incredibly fucking fascist to me. And number two, it's only Darth Vader could somehow make that entertaining. Because this, when you think about it, I mean, this is pretty fucking horrifying. And yet... It, it, it's written in such a way as to just be kind of nonchalant about it. And that, I think, is maybe what is most supremely Vader about this whole thing, is that he wouldn't think this is something that people should make a big deal out of. Because, again, he didn't kill the Trimean royal family from any malice whatsoever. He just recognized that's the real crux of this issue. And when you eliminate that, everything else is going to fall into place. And I don't know, it's just, to me, this is just incredibly insightful writing and Vader, or at least the empire, none of these things are ever really called fascist in any of the movies. And in the Darth side blog, again, the word fascist, at least that I can remember, it never pops up, but it's like, if you know it, you know it, you know, and that just seems really fucking fascist to me. And it, again, it's only it's only Darth Vader that could make a story this horrifying somehow entertaining, you know? And so I don't know, whatever you want to make of that. <clears throat> so uh, that, that was uh, of the two things that I had to talk about. That was one of them. Now to kind of change subjects a little bit, one of the, especially in this post-solo world in which we live. One of the things that I've noticed among Star Wars fandom lately is a, this kind of LARPy tendency to want to produce wish lists of all the different things that they want to see from Disney Star Wars. You know, why can't Disney Star Wars do this? Why can't Disney Star Wars do that? So on and so forth. And honestly, this has really gone into high gear, especially since... Uh, the Last Jedi came out, and really, definitely, uh, since uh, Solo, a Star Wars story came, saw, and tanked at the box office, people have been 
a little bit more willing to number one, just talk about what they want from Disney Star Wars. And number two, kind of lament the fact that in a lot of ways, they're not really getting it, you know? Now, again, for those of you who haven't really kept up with my views on Star Wars and goings on with all that, I saw The Force Awakens and I fucking hated it, okay? This, look, if you enjoyed The Force Awakens, more power to you. I'm happy for you. But I saw that and I thought, look, I don't know who these new movies are 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 really directed to, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to enjoy any of them. And so for the most part, I haven't seen any of these new, uh, these new Star Wars movies. Now, there was, I don't know, put it down to popular demand, perhaps, but I did end up watching uh, Rogue One. And the reason for that is because in a nice way, in a friendly way, in a very polite way, I did kind of get called out on this, on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook page, where one of the members basically said, look, Magnus, you're sitting here and you're talking shit about these new movies, but you're not watching them. You know, so look, I mean, if if you're going to talk trash about it, that's fine. But you should talk trash about it from an, a, a uh, an informed point of view. And I, don't, I thought that was reasonable enough. So I ended up watching Rogue One. And I'm going to be honest, I enjoyed that a hell of a lot more than I enjoyed The Force Awakens. But I don't know. It's just there wasn't anything about Rogue One that instantly made me think, wow, it's time to change my opinion because these new movies are fantastic. It's It just hasn't happened. So the decision that I made is, you know what? Look, I'm just going to leave the key under the mat. You new Star Wars fans, if any, who are coming into these to these movies under the Disney era and you're just loving it, you know what? You guys have a you guys deserve to have a chance to enjoy these movies without Magnus going full get off my lawn about it. So if you're enjoying these new movies, that's great. And in fact, some ways I kind of envy you, but I just am not getting into them. And so for those reasons, I haven't seen The Last Jedi and I haven't seen Solo. All right. And I have no plans to ever see them. I will not watch episode nine. I don't think, you know, there's just not much about these new movies coming out that looks like they'll speak to me as a Star Wars fan. So that's fine. But one of the things I've noticed, just to kind of make my point here, one of the things I've noticed is that people are are just kind of having these little fantasies about, wouldn't it be great if, or why can't we have this, or Disney should do that. And honestly, the first time that I can really remember thinking that this is starting to go into overdrive a little bit, back in June of last year, Star Wars Theory, the YouTube channel, Star Wars Theory, posted a a sort of wish list of what he wants from Disney Star Wars, and he rattled off a bunch of movies, you know, like a trilogy for, uh, like, a bunch of fan-favorite characters, like Qui-Gon, Count Dooku, Asajj Ventress, Darth Maul, Mace Windu, Ben Kenobi, etc., 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 right? And what I'm about to say, I don't want this to be interpreted as a critique 
of Star Wars theory or a shot across the bow or anything like that. I'm just going to give you my opinion of stuff like that because it's not like he's the only one. I mean, there's been, I've, I've probably come across dozens of different things like this. And I think that's not a helpful way to think about Star Wars in today's world. And look, it's not that I don't think that Star Wars fans should be excited about Star Wars because that'd be a stupid thing to say. No, the the thing I don't think people are stopping to think about is, guys, Disney is well aware of what Star Wars fans want. You cannot venture anywhere in the Star Wars fan segment of YouTube without getting smashed in the face with exactly what fans want. Because, guys, it's no mystery. People say that it's all about money in Hollywood. And, guys, I'm sorry, that's not true. That is not true. In fact, you could argue that money takes a back seat to shit tons of other considerations. And when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. When it comes to Hollywood, these are people who are already rich. So getting richer isn't necessarily a major priority for them. This is an ego thing. In my estimation, ego is hands down, without question, the most powerful commodity in Hollywood. I think that everything comes from ego. If not one person's ego, then somebody else's ego. It's that simple. Ego is what makes Hollywood tick. So, when it comes to modern Star Wars, I think, I think the Disney wants Star Wars fans to either gravitate to the new characters or else gravitate to the post-Disney incarnation of the familiar characters. I think if Disney could have their druthers, they want fans to cherish the new characters, by which I mean losers like Ray and Poe and, and whatnot. But as a compromise, they'll settle for fans falling in love with Ehrenreich's Han Solo rather than Ford's. Disney doesn't want to be the custodian of Star Wars. They want to make Star Wars their own. And to be fair to Disney, for as shitty as their movies might be, Disney didn't pay five fucking billion dollars for Lucasfilm just to keep Star Wars stagnant. I can kind of understand where they're coming from with this. You know, I might even have sympathized with them if the new stuff wasn't so fucking horrible. But in any case, their efforts are focused on creating Disney versions of Star Wars films. They don't want to be caretakers to George Lucas's Star Wars. And kind of bring it back to my main point in this discussion, Star Wars Theory's video is pretty close to what probably any fan would want if they could have their way. But like I say, the issue isn't that Disney doesn't know what fans want. Rather, it's that Disney wants us to be excited about Star Wars on their terms, not ours. So a movie celebrating how awesome Luke Skywalker can be or a trilogy about Ewan McGregor's uh, Ben Kenobi is probably the exact opposite of how Disney wants to develop the brand. And guys, five billion bucks aside, this isn't about money. It's never been about money. 
It's about Disney wanting to create their Star Wars movies and characters rather than continue the George Lucas tradition. Disney isn't staffed by morons, boys and girls. They know what the fans want. What this is really about is that Disney wants fans to want their Star Wars rather than the Star Wars that we've loved for all these years. So if you've got a wish list, and again, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody here. I just want to set your expectations. If you've got some wish list of Star Wars movies or TV shows or whatever that you're positive would make zillions and zillions of dollars, understand that, number one, you're probably right. Those movies probably would be runaway successes. But number two, Disney isn't interested in giving you that. They want to give you their take on Star Wars. And in case I'm not being clear here, Disney would rather lose money on their version of Star Wars than get filthy fucking rich on your Star Wars. Because it's not about money. It's never been about money. It's about ego. Never forget that. Now, that is mostly it for me, but uh, before, I, before I head out here, there's uh, one other thing that I want to mention. This, again, kind of became an issue on Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, the Facebook group, um, a little while ago. Basically, I was cruising around through my external hard drive, and I found an episode about the... Uh, an, an, this is an episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality about the J.J. Abrams uh, 2009 Star Trek movie basically part one of the Kelvin verse and I recorded it in January of 2018 and then bleh, I don't know it's like got it got memory hold or something I mean I don't know what happened I just completely forgot about it went to all that I even mixed the damn thing I mean this got pretty far along in the process literally the only thing I didn't do apparently is release it I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. And so what I'm going to do is basically rebrand that thing as an episode of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, this uh, Star Trek, this 2009 Star Trek episode uh, that I made. Rebrand that as an episode of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality and then push that out the door at some point or another. I don't really know when. It's going to be probably a little bit after this Star Wars episode I'm doing right now because I don't want to release episodes of Trinus Magnus Jabs reality too close together so it may take a while but sooner or later I am going to get there so that I think is pretty much it for me for right now so bye everybody I'll see you next time So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com.
www.trentus.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon. Because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus... Media Enterprises Limited Production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.